the Crusaders to the next episode of the Nerd Crusade Podcast, episode 29. This week, as always, with me is Courtney. Hello. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about some movies and some more about Boulder's Gate as we've been able to try it out uh, co-op, which uh, I don't think a lot of people have done that on the initial reviews that or uh, impressions people have been giving. They've all just been playing it solo, so we'll use some impressions on how the multiplayer works on that. Mm-hmm. Um, how the split screen works and yep. how well it functions uh so i mean we'll go over that uh talk about some instances that we ran into with it and um maybe and feel free to tell us what your experience has been playing boulder's gate uh other than that uh we'll also talk about some gaming news surrounding boulder's gate 2 that's been going around and we're prepping for starfield which will hopefully be out soon well we'll be out by the end of the month um but there's been a serious lack of marketing for it so we'll talk a little bit about that as well but first up Courtney's going to tell us about the Barbie movie, because she saw it. (laughs) Yes, I saw it last night with a girlfriend of mine, and it was really good. I can see... That's just the cat. Thanks, cat. Uh, I can see why it has been number one for the past three weeks. Uh, The set design is impeccable. The message of the film really hits home with I would say 99.99% of women. Um, And yeah, this movie is definitely a pro-women's movie, but I can, I see why some butthurt men don't like it, but they are missing the point of the film. But overall, I think it's a great film, set design, costumes, the casting choices were great, and I would definitely recommend this movie to pretty much anyone. So what's the point of the movie? The point of the movie? Yeah, like, point uh, that people are missing. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't have to spoil events that happen, right? Is it just, like, women empowerment or women knowing themselves better than what they've been told told that they're supposed to be, or what is it? Uh, I haven't seen it. I, I, I know, but I, like... We talk spoilers on this show. I know, but I don't know. <laughs> I just cut this part out. I don't want to talk about Barbie, Ian. We gotta talk about Barbie. Dude. I don't want to talk about Barbie. Why don't you want to spoil it? It's it's good. I just don't want to spoil it. I probably won't spoil it, but there's because all like, I know is the meat that's been around, which has been very good. The only negative stuff has been by the idi- the normal idiots online who bitch and moan about. Women empowerment stuff all the time where it's too woke and that bullshit like that. Uh, I think GOP idiots have been thinking that it's like doctrinating a gay agenda, which obviously isn't at all in this movie. Um, but it seems weird um, that that stuff always kind of com- comes up. But like, if the point of the movie is just women empowerment, that should just be a normal type of thing. What makes it so good in this? Like, it's just explained better. Yeah, I would say it's explained better. Uh, like. Like, it's a coming-of-age type feel. Uh, Even though Barbie is a grown woman, it's kind of her experiencing actual womanhood and the perils of what women have to go through. Okay, outside the perfect world of Barbie Land? Yeah. Where it's just... Barbie Land is like every day it's a party or something? No, uh, Barbie Land is ruled by the Barbies. The Kens are the accessories. And... uh, it's just a happy, great, go-lucky place that children's imaginations created for Barbies. But, like, does she does like Barbie go to work in Barbie Land or no? 
Margot Robbie's Barbie doesn't, because Margot Robbie's Barbie, and every Barbie knows their purpose and function, because okay. there's Pilot Barbie, there's President Barbie, there's the Justices Barbie. Uh, okay, so, so they all every, have assigned jobs based on what Everyone has assigned jobs, but Margot Robbie's Barbie is a stereotypical Barbie. So she just goes shopping or to the beach, whatever she wants to do. Okay, so like a Barbie from like the 80s, early 90s, it was before like they got really focused in job stuff for them. Yeah. Okay. Kind of early Barbie. And they have uh, a lot of callbacks to recalled Barbies as well, like the pregnancy Barbie. I forget her actual name I do was. remember. I do remember that pregnancy Barbie. Yep. So they have her, they have Skipper in there. But it's just like oh, like her what? little cousin Skipper because Skipper was be well, like that, that's her sister. Oh, so Skipper was a cousin, no. not her sister. No, no, no. And then you said they got you guys said they had plus size size Barbie as well. Yeah, they had a couple plus two thousands. Yeah, and they had a couple plus size Barbies, and then um, they have the broken Barbie, which is the Barbie doll that gets played too hard, so all her limbs fall are off. <laughs> well, not fall off, but they're very loose, so she could do the splits. Oh, okay. Uh, has the weird haircut and is drawn. All is over that the, the face. one that's played by the SNL actress? Yes. Okay. The one that tells her to go on her journey of uh, discovery. Yeah, but it's not uh, a choice. She's telling her you yeah, have, you have to, to do it. <laughs> you have to do it because you have to space time hole, and. To fix it, you have to go to the real world. So the world is in peril unless she goes on this adventure, basically. Yes. Okay. Now, the Kens, you said they're accessories. Are they just... What are the Kens? Are they just party all day? They just party all day. They <laughs> they pine for their particular Barbies, and they get very jealous of each other. And then who's the Alan, if they're all Kens? Alan is Ken's best friend. I don't Alan that. was an old, old Ken doll type doll that had red hair. And he was supposed to be like a friend to Ken, and he could wear all the same outfits Ken does. But he was short-lived production, like back in the seventies or early eighties. Okay, so there's like one ginger. There's Alan. one ginger Alan, and, and he's wonderful. The rest of everyone else are all just different, either age, Asian or different uh, race versions of Ken. Yes, and they all hate each other. <laughs> They don't all hate each other. There's there's rivalries between different like Ken clicks. You could tell. So there's Ken clicks. There's Ken clicks. Was it like the Asian click or is it just like activity clicks? It's kind of more like activity so clicks. It's the, the surfer Kens and then like the rollerblading Kens. Yeah, oh, kind of like hilarious. that. It is wonderful and great. And there is a uh, homage to Gene Kelly in this film that's done impe- impeccably well. So like she go she leaves Barbie Land and go on this adventure. Ken tags along. Is he just comic relief throughout the rest of the movie? Then in the real world, or does he actually play a purpose? He plays a purpose. Okay. He plays because um, he brings patriarchy to Barbie Land, and oh, it wow. starts fucking up Barbie Land. Oh wow! Okay. Because so he, what he learns over. from the real world. Yeah, that okay. men are supposed to be in charge, <laughs> and it has to do something with horses. So horses play a big role in Ken's takeover. So there's horse shit everywhere. So, uh, is, and I take that's the influence from, like, Will Ferrell's character as the CEO no, or something? No. No. Ken and Will Ferrell's character never, like, really meet till the very end. So does Will Ferrell do more of his, like, man-child comedy in this? A little bit. Um, but it's more kind of ignorant CEO. Okay. So does Ken pick up the patriarchy thing just from, like, 
absorbing the media of the real world culture. Or yes. So observing like, the real world media culture, his just observations of the world. And then he also picks up books about patriarchy from the library. Can he read? <laughs> yes, they can read. And watching uh, like police officers, uh, mounted police officers ride horses. So that's where he gets horses equal authority. I figured he would have thought cowboy. Well, no, because Ken isn't that smart. The Kens aren't really that smart. That's funny. So overall, good movie, good to see. Yeah, good movie, great to see. Um, well, I don't of, really want to... It's a billion dollar mark, I think, right? Oh, yeah. It does not need a second movie, but unfortunately, I think they're going to try for it because that's what they always do. Because the success that Mattel's seeing with it. Because I know that Mattel's yeah. already like licensed properties for a ton of their stuff. Like, probably a spinoff with Skipper. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to bring Mighty Max to get back again. Well, um, but a bunch the funny of the thing stuff. with Skipper is Skipper's not featured heavily in this one, but they mentioned a time when Skipper did come to the real world. Ah. Uh, so. Well, let's see. Yeah. Who's, who's plays Alan? Everything oh, here is listed is Barbie, Barbie, Ken. Uh, Alan is oh yeah, John Cena makes a cameo that's wonderful. He's, okay, so, he's that, mer- so the Mermaid Ken thing was real. That wasn't just a, a yes. Mermaid said. Ken is John Cena, and he is wonderful and and adorable. Um, I'm trying to remember who Alan is played by. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah, there's literally people who are cast as junior high friend, junior high friend, dancer, dancer. <laughs> Lots of dancers. Well, that's for the G. Well, no, that was. That's a shitload of dancers. I think there were 40 people. How big is that sequence? <laughs> it's like five minutes. You know, a typical uh, dance sequence. All right, let me see if you can go. Alan. There you go. No. No, that's the ac- actor. So. Actor's name. Um. That sound department. Oh so my they don't, god! They don't list Alan in the cast on IMDb. Oh, shoot. Well, so I have no idea who play who plays him. Oh no, here he is. There. Michael Sarah plays Alan. Okay, there. So yeah, well, <laughs> that, that's a good casting choice. It's a wonderful casting choice, and he's like he the helps... friend zone friend. <laughs> yes, and he uh, <laughs> he helps the Barbies get back Barbie Land. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, so they're yeah. like... Because he's not really friends with the Kens, not really friends with the Barbies, but he's just there for the status quo of everything. So there's 11 Barbies. Midge has to be the pregnant one, wasn't it? Yes, Midge, Midge is the pregnant. I remember the Midge being the name of the pregnant Barbie. It's such a bad name and like a bad image to, that they try to roll out Yeah. With. So... Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven Barbies and a midge. This is all going on IMDb six, going seven, by seven Kens. By who you see on screen first. And I take it the rest of these people are like real world Mattel CEO. Yeah, so Gloria, Sasha are real world people. Uh the narr- there is a narrator. Okay, so then there's like a Barbie video girl, skipper, growing up skipper, yeah. Teen Talk Barbie. Proust Barbie. What's Proust Barbie? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, and there was Sugar, Sugar Daddy, Daddy Ken. Ken. Earring Magic Ken. Yes. These are all the different, like, toys. That's pretty and funny. And they were real. 
Yeah, these which are is great. Toys, foot rub, Ken. <laughs> yes. I'm sure, like, they'll do, like, a brat. They've done Bratz animated movies already. I'm sure they'll do stupid shit like that later on in the future. Yeah, Mattel saw, you know, magic gold with this one. But it comes down to writing. And if you have a good writing team like this had, uh, and good act, and good casting choices, it makes so a hell of a difference. Would you say it's actually a good... um? Uh, original type, almost feels like an original type of story using a well-known IP, or is this kind of just a refreshing way to tell a story that we've already seen a million times? I think it's a story told a million times through real-world women. Okay. And it's refreshing to kind of see it in the eyes of an inanimate object becoming a real woman. Okay. So... So it's like it's a, a, almost an al- original story mixed in with real world shit. Okay, so it's like getting um, an outside perspective of like a neutral perspective going in and seeing how shit, shit is set up and realize like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Why yep. this is this way. Exactly. It, our world is just like, yeah, well, that's just how shit is. Yeah, that's just it. a status quo deal with it. Yeah, we don't bother to question like, why are we doing things like that? Yeah. Okay. Well, sounds like a good movie. Uh, it's been getting it's made a billion dollars already in theaters. It's doing really well, so we'll see more and more of it as uh, as time goes on. I'm sure. Um, probably we'll probably see a bunch of other shitty movies made by Mattel after this. We'll have to see what happens. Um, with the writer strike and the actor strike, who knows though? Uh, we'll probably be with that strike stuff going on. We'll probably be stuck with like with our next movie that we just watched, which came out this weekend called Heart of Stone, which is the new Gal Gadot movie that came out on Netflix. And that movie is just as bad as all the other Netflix movies that they've made. Uh, like Red Notice was was garbage because mm-hmm. it's poorly written, and this movie is garbage because it's poorly written. Yeah, there's some movies that just should be left in the can, and this was definitely one of them. But you know, with the writer strike and don't know how long it's going to go on and start new productions. We're going to get a lot of stuff that should have been shelved and stayed in the can start coming out, and yeah, honestly, like the last it. decent movie I thought I think Netflix made was The Gray Man with uh, Ryan Gosling and Chris uh, Evans. Yeah, that one actually the story played out fine. It was shot really fine. The, the stunts were done really well. Here, the stunts are okay, but the editing and cutting of of how some of the film is really shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and the premise is just, it's something that's like try to be done, done in the past, but then they just kind of throw it, they don't, they kind of throw it away because they don't bother to, uh, explain the flaws with it. So like a good example is if you compare this to the Fast and Furious movies where they start talking about the God's eye, where they have a device that can hack into any camera in the Fast and Furious universe. So that's an ultimate intelligence tool. This movie, Heart of Stone, is about an intelligent agency that has what they call the heart, which is the ultimate uh, hacking tool where it can hack into anything from cameras, bank accounts, PCs, whatever. You're never off the grid. It's such a. It's not just that it does that. It's a, it's a predictive algorithm that gives you a percentage of so that it can literally success. Pre- predict the future, which yeah. is like, well, in the first scene, it's very obvious that Gal Gadot's character can change the outcome of what the computer predicts based on her actions. So then it's like, 
obviously this computer's flawed. Why the fuck would you use it? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, oh, you said, oh, don't or bother use going it in that way. Yeah, because like the the lawyers like, oh, you can't you can't make it. So the percentages are like less than zero, less than like ten percent that you'll make it to the bottom. Okay, well I'll do it anyway. Oh wow, the percentage is going up because you're gonna actually make it. Yeah, it's so. <laughs> And then Stupid. they never use that technology ever again for the rest of the movie. Yeah. They literally like... They mention it a ton of times, but it's just never... It's just used for surveillance, basically. Oh, there's five yeah. guys coming out the door. Okay, not, hey, the computer's done a predictive algorithm, and this is how you're going to survive. Yeah, here's your chances of But yeah, they, they point out that that's why it's so good, because it's a predictive algorithm computer, and that's why these bad people want it, yada, yada, yada. It's really fucking stupid. Makes no sense. Poorly written. I think Gal Gadot wanted to do some more action stuff, which is great. But like, honestly, the best action is in one car chase towards the beginning, and that's it. <laughs> that that chase ends lackluster because they go through the streets of Lisbon, crashing and destroying a ton of shit, cars blowing up. She literally get, gets two cars to flip over barriers and like basically off the fucking road, and the last guy's chasing her on a motorcycle just stops and turns around. Yeah. It's like, why did you bother doing all this fucking shit? Especially when it turns out that, oh, the double agent was in the van with him the whole time. Why would you bother do- doing all this shit? Just, like, do a half-assed chase, give up immediately, and then let him take it from there. Not, oh, we're going to trash half the fucking city, kill all these innocent people, and then just walk away. Yeah, it's like, no, like, that sh- city would be on fucking lockdown. The airports would be on lockdown. No one's getting out. And then they literally say, oh, like, well, because well, the plan is to steal this computer technology, which is basically steal the computer chip running it, which is like, if it's man-made, you'll probably, re- probably re-engineer it anyway, so who, why the fuck would you need to steal this? Mm-hmm. But they're holding it, like, in a fucking helium blimp in high atmosphere, where it's like, they literally said, oh, it's at this, th- it's at this altitude or this far up, they need a space shuttle to get to it. It's like... Well, it's obviously not a hydrogen blimp of outside of the atmosphere if they need a space shuttle to get to it, if they can just descend, make it descend yeah. and steal it. And again, it's like, why would you hide this in a hydrogen balloon just floating in the air? Or why don't you put it on a fucking satellite that you can maneuver around yeah. remotely? It makes more sense yeah. for it to be up in space in a satellite like all the other fucking spy satellites in the world. Where you would have to, yeah, take a rocket ship up into space. And guess what? You tried to send a rocket ship up into space, people are going to fucking notice. That's the thing is that, like, um, it's kind of trying to work on the spy, like, spy technology of, like, the early 90s or 80s where, like, Oh well, you have to have a field agent who's uh, your tech person, right? Where and like they now have to be on the field, and they have to be like in the van outside the outside the event, right? Because you know satellites aren't aligned; we can't bounce signals off of this road. Now it's like no, it's twenty twenty three. The tech person should be in a bunker back in the their home city, just on the fucking phone. Yeah, eating crisps. Yeah, not in the van, and then everyone's like, "Wow, you can actually fight!" It's like, well, yeah, I'm in the fucking van, and I shit goes wrong. I need to be able to protect myself. Yeah, it shouldn't just be like. Why is this tech person so good at field work all of a sudden? It's like, well, it's, well if they're in the van on the field, they, they had to take field know. training. Yeah. <laughs> so they should know how to defend themselves, know some hand to hand, know and, how to fire a fucking gun. And then the costuming is really weird, too. Like the oh, opening sequence where they're walking around a casino in a full, like, fur coat 
and winter gear while everyone else is just in like evening gown wear inside a casino. Yeah, granted, it was like up in the Swiss Alps. That's where I'm guessing it was. Yeah, and there was an outside yeah. area like for drinks and whatnot. But by the time you get in, you're not walking yeah, around. You take off your fucking coat because yeah. you're going to get warmed up hella quick. You're not walking around in your faux fur coat, lady. A big giant fur faux coat. It wasn't even like elegant. It was just big and poofy. So and. They obviously it's, went to go hit their target with this heart attack drug. It was very obvious that she was concealing something, and they stopped her immediately. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised that they didn't say, you have to remove your coat. Yeah. Uh, to and be then down here, or whatever. Later, when they go to Lisbon, they fly in, they drive to their, their safe house, and the chick, who's the field agent chick, is already wearing a sequence romper for the nightclub that they're going to in, like, four hours. Yeah. Like, bitch, you keep that in your, like, suitcase, you get in, you get ready, and then you put that on. It's not... Oh, we just dropped off our shit. Let's go for oh, look, I'm in my sequence romper already. Like, why are you wearing sequence all day long? <laughs> that shit ain't comfortable. That that chafes on your arms. Yeah, no. so like outfit choices were very weird. We didn't matter for those oh, characters anyway, because they killed them almost immediately. Yeah. And then also the music in this movie, it felt very uh, like free to use type music. Yeah. It wasn't they dynamic at all. They definitely cut a lot of corners. They also, the other big like, draw of this movie besides Gal Gadot is that the I guy. I think that is the big draw. Well, it's the guy that's from um, uh, Land of the Dead. Uh, Math- Matthias Schwarzenwolfer or whatnot. Uh-huh. Uh, he has been in like, uh, Land of the De- uh, Army of the Dead and a bunch of those other Netflix movies as like the computer tech guy. And honestly, that's not the role for that dude. He was not good. He was way too excited. That's how he is in everything. Like in Army of the Dead, it's like you're robbing a vault surrounded by zombies in in the Las Vegas zombie apocalypse and you're being happy and giddy. Like, no, that's stupid. Yeah. Uh, It's like you need to take it down 20 fucking notches. Yeah, it just was not a good movie. And like, like I said, like Gray Man was was probably the only decent Netflix film that they've come out with. Yeah. Um, Re- Red Notice recent. Was, Red Notice was garbage. Um, I, uh, I think Underground Six had like a good opening, but then the rest of that movie was just kind of bland, boring. I think the problem is they find like one sequence that's pretty decent, and they're like, "Yes, let's run with it," and <clears> the <throat> rest of the film is just awful. A- yeah. Like, I mean, I want a spy movie, like, when they, when you're going to, like, grab someone for interrogation and they try to fight back, they just shoot them in the foot. Shoot them in like, the foot, shoot them in the leg. Eddie Murphy did that in another 48 hours. The guy talked shit to me, shot him in the foot, said, who else wants to fucking limp? Nobody good enough fucking to listen to what I've got to say, right? Yeah. Where, like, they're always, like, wrestling back and forth trying to get information. Like, the person doesn't need to be able to walk if you're taking them in. Yeah. <laughs> they can limp. Um, so, like... Garbage movie. You want to see a good spy movie? Go watch Spy with um, what's her Melissa name? McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy. That's a good spy movie. Which I wish they would make more of that franchise. Yeah. That... Well, because it's making fun of spies, but it does a good job on how kind of spy work would work, work and work. like the goofiness of it. And then there's also Atomic Blonde, which is another great spy mm-hmm. movie that's actually done realistically and real and really well. Although that is also takes place in the 1980s, so you don't have them trying to use a high-tech supercomputer to be the MacGuffin, when in the end, like, nobody uses this predictive algorithm to figure out what's going to happen. Because like, guess what? Humans aren't predictive. Like, the fact that they even steal it makes no sense. It's like, oh, we have this predictive computer. Well, one of the first things you would run is, like, how would somebody steal this device from us? 
if we put it in this this type of casing and hide it here, the predictive algorithm should have figured it out and had safeguards against it, but they didn't. People yeah. would just, oh, make it descend and then get on the balloon and easily walk in and walk out. No security, no nothing, maintaining this balloon. It, it, it was no, stupid. No safeguards. It was stupid. Just bad all around. Yeah. Skip. Yeah, definitely not, not a good movie for sure. Um, so definitely skip that. Uh, only thing decent that seems to be on Netflix right now is like the Nailed It Baking Championship. <laughs> and the only reason why that's a little bit better because Nailed It kind of gets old after watching regular episodes is just episode after episode of people fucking up, which is fun to watch, but there's like no high stakes because they just always give money to uh, somebody. It's a v- kind of very loose competition where this is more like the British baking show where every episode is a countdown to, okay, this person is now out. Here's the people who are left. The winner takes all at the end. Yeah. But they actually have good fucking prizes for the people who leave. I love, like, when you leave, because the joke on the regular Nailed It show is uh, guests and guests, especially guest judges, will just raid their pantry and just take yeah, their shit. Yeah, shit from them. Yeah, oh, I want these pots and pans. So, like, the first guy who lost, they said, hey, uh, we know you want to be, like, because uh, this whole thing was they were wanting to be uh, foster parents and they needed the money to the prize money to kind of get that up and running, which makes sense. I think they gave him a thousand dollars. Yep. Anyway, is it? Oh yeah. And also you have one minute to go through our pantry and take where the fuck you want. Like mixers, pots, pans, cooking supplies, Pro- food supplies. processors. Yeah. They gave him a shopping cart and said, okay, Wes is going to follow you. Just grab where the fuck you and want. And just toss and take it, it in. And that guy probably got like six, $7,000 worth of equipment for yeah. free. Plus a thousand dollars cash. I'm like, Wow, it pays to lose on this show, man. I would take all that shit for sure. Hell yeah. Like, like it wasn't like, oh, I went and took, like, the flour and sugar and that. Like, you grab some of that stuff at the end. He immediately went for a food processor, mixing stand, And they were yelling at him to go grab it. Yeah. They're like, don't forget the food processor. Don't forget this. I don't remember at the end of the second episode. Did they do the same thing for her or no? Yeah. Okay, so, like, you lose, you get to at least raid their pantry and steal their shit. Yes. <laughs> Which, even given, like, yeah, it's... Maybe not highest budget uh, baking show. Uh, KitchenAid mixers are super expensive. Food processors, they have ninja blenders. Yeah, those things aren't cheap and they're really good and they last a long time, Mm -hmm. especially when you take care of them. So, like, getting a whole cake pan set, getting the processors, the machinery, all those things for free is well worth making a <laughs> shitty cake on that show yeah um it pays to lose so which is, is nice because like the reason why we kind of like like shows like you know uh or shows like we're like oh america's worst this or this or this worst worst person in this like they're good in canada because like canada canada's worst driver yes. is they keep the worst not, people yeah it's not a show where you're, oh you're really good so you get to stay longer it's Oh, you're good. So you you're you don't need to be here. Fucking leave. Yes. We're keeping the people who are the shittiest around, and when the last one's left, yeah, we're not letting you drive home. Go get the fuck out of here. Uh, you don't. You should not be on the roads. And like, where's handyman? Yes, you haven't improved. You suck at all this. Stop doing handyman jobs if you, if you win that show. America always does that shit, and it's like. Well, if you win, we'll give you $100,000. Like, why are you giving the winner who's worse at something money? Yeah. Or they do it like America's Worst Cook where it's like, well, these are the worst cooks. The most improved gets to stay. The people who suck leave and don't learn anything. Which, it should again, it should be the opposite. Yeah, it, sh- it should be the, keep the people who need the lesson 
there so they can learn how to cook and not yeah. give the people who are learning and getting better to stay there and do better. It's like, yeah, you found somebody who can go to cooking school and, and pay attention versus somebody who can't and needs mm-hmm. special attention on how to learn how to do do a task. Um, so nailed it. It's not necessarily that they're teaching them like one aspect of it because like the first episode was stacking. was stacking cakes and all they taught them was this is how you stack cakes. Not how to bake the fucking cake properly, yeah. which all these people don't know how to do anyway. So when it came to actually do the challenge, it's like, well, your cake wasn't baked properly, or you didn't let it cool long enough before you stacked it. But again, it they have the instructions. They have yeah. step-by-step they have the instructions. Full... They have the full recipe. And it's just... A matter of fucking reading the goddamn recipe before you even start. But I think that's why Nailed It is good because you're not instructing them how to do shit and watching them fail and then punishing people who suck at it. Yeah. You're, okay, here's everything you need to do. We're going to give you a little bit of instruction on one complicated part of this of this build. Give, pay attention to that. But everything else, follow the instructions and you should be fine. Mm-hmm. And it's these people not following instructions. <laughs> Where, yeah. and where they could very easily just read the paperwork and do the and do it and win the competition. Yeah. So I don't feel like it's like, hey, we're gonna make you a better cook, and it's like, oh, well, you're a better cook, get the fuck out, or or you're you're a bad cook, you can't, I can't teach you, leave. It's hey, let me help you get better. This is more of like, cool, just try your best at making this. Yeah. And best of luck to you. We've given you everything for you to succeed. It's all on you, not. I'm going to pat myself on the back because I took shitty cooks and made them make a five-course Michelin star dinner. Like, no. you, you sent home the people who needed help. Yeah. <laughs> you kept the ones you knew how to cook. Exactly. So, yeah, that's about all that's on Netflix. We're not going to get a Stranger Things season five in forever, and by the time it comes out... The kids are going to be in their 40s. <laughs> they'll either have to recast it, which would ruin it, and yeah. the cohesiveness of the show, so it's like... That show has, like, four good seasons, and the last season will be a rush to wrap up a story that was going somewhere very interesting, but they sat on their asses too long to finish it. They need it. Like, after the first season, I could see why they hesitated to do yeah, anything. Like you don't you got... another one. Exactly. But as soon as they greenlit, like, yeah, we want six or five, however many, you write that shit out immediately and, like, all right, we got to go, go, go and film it. You got to Lord of the Rings this bitch. Yeah, they got it. They should have, like, season two, cool. The kids went off and did some of their own projects, fine. Once we get them back together, we're keeping them until we finish this project. Yeah. And not let, okay, go off and do your own thing for another two, three years. All right, here's another season. Okay, let's go off and do your thing for another two, three years. We'll take a break. Like, no, finish writing your whole fucking thing so the whole treatment's done. And that way you just have to do, like, edits and revisions uh, right before you start filming. Mm-hmm. And then you just shoot the whole fucking thing and get it done over with instead of having kids who are going literally through puberty as you started this thing. And now out of puberty. Now they're all like going to be college students by the time they're supposed to be playing like 16-year-olds. Or 14-year-olds or yeah, however old they were supposed to be originally. So yeah, it's it's Stranger Things is completely fucked because of that, but we'll see yeah. how they try and recover from that. Um, so last thing this week is Boulder's Gate. Mm-hmm. We talked about that last week, uh, just first impressions. Uh, Courtney's gotten to play it now. Uh, we've played co-op, uh, where you are a druid, and I started out as a bard, and I switched it back to a uh, warlock. warlock. Just because could not fight at all as a bard. Like, nothing was hitting very well with that. 
Um, well, I think you just didn't know how to play as a bard and how to uh, do combat as a bard. Well, there's been a big question about an option on there, which I turned back on, which is called Karm Karmatic Dice. Mm -hmm. Which is an option that's not ex explained to you at all in the game, but like it's on by default. And what it does, it stops losing streaks and dice rolls. Ah. So... You just roll dice. It won't be. It will. If you're losing quite a bit, it will. All right. You roll two bad rolls on this. Your third one will be. It will be a success or something. Um, some people tell you to turn it off because it does the same thing for enemies. They won't have a losing streak and miss you all the time. They'll hit you more often. But if you turn it off, you may miss a lot of your, uh, like a lot of your dice rolls for conversations and shit, or lock picking. Even if you do it over and over again, because you'll just have a streak of bad dice rolls over and over again. Yeah. So the community is kind of back and forth on whether or not that's worth it. Um, but as far as playing co-op, it does work very seamlessly. Uh, easier to drop in, drop out. Um, and for you to easily start a game uh, or somebody just come in and take control of one of the characters if you wanted yeah. to. And we're talking about couch co-op, not online co-op. Yeah. Uh, we're just playing side by side in front of the uh, PC on it. And it's working out great uh, with uh, controller support only, though. Uh, you can't have one person doing keyboard and one person on a controller. Uh, or two keyboards. Yeah, you have to ha be one or the other. Or mm -hmm. just be uh, controllers. The controller uh, controls, the one thing I wish they did have was a better layout of, con of what the controller mapping was. Mm -hmm. They don't really have that. It'd be nice to have a more detailed version of it so that you knew that oh, hitting down hides, holding down on the D-pad hides everybody instead of having to go to each individual character for it. Um, a tutorial to walk you through like how to customize your action rings, which you can actually do, but you have to see that, the oh, here, customize it and how you can customize it. Mm -hmm. um, it'd be nice if there's just more of a... Tutorial. Tutorial or a place to point you to that they had built into the game. Like, hey, for controller... A schema, go to this website and look at this. Yeah. I wonder if they'll have that for when the PlayStation the version PlayStation comes one, out. It will probably come out with, here's the tutorial on here's what buttons you have to hit for everything. But the tutorial on this has been very light as far as just, here's yes. movement, here's run, jump, here's your action wheel. Um, but like even the regular game doesn't tell you, this is how you group high. This is how you do this. You have to find the buttons on the PC interface mm -hmm. that do all those things. Um, they also don't explain like spell slots and how all that stuff works. You kind of have to do your research on this game on the different characters, which will kind of make it harder for people who've never played before. But um, that stuff is easy enough to watch a quick YouTube video on or just playing through. You'll understand it. Because um, like one of the biggest differences with the Warlock versus all the other spellcasters is that Warlocks don't have as many spell slots that they can use, but their spell slots can uh, be... Uh, refilled with a short rest where everyone else has to take a long rest. Mm -hmm. um, what's also not 100% clear is, like, you have spell slots, and then you, uh, ultimately, uh, with equipment and leveling up, you can have, uh, like, a wizard or other spellcaster can have, like, six spell slots. But it's, like, what dictates a spell slot being completely used up or not? Because right. I've used the same spell over and over again from the same character, and then cool... That spell slot, I can use a spell over and over, and then suddenly I can't anymore. And then I can maybe use the other spell slot for something else. Mm -hmm. That stuff takes a lot more research to look into. Like, I also don't understand, like, 
um, the concentration part of it. Like, there's the spells that require concentration where you cast it like guidance, and you're concentrating the whole time after you cast it. Yes. So the spells act that way. But I have a spell that requires concentration in order to cast it, but I can't just cast it and be concentrating. It's like, it seems like I have to be concentrating before I can cast it, and I don't know on what. Yeah. So, and that's not explained, like, it just says, the requirements for the spell is that you have to be concentrating. It's like, like, oh. So how do I concentrate on this spell to, to yeah, cast so it? Yeah, so someone either needs to cast it on you, yeah. or you gotta cast it on yourself, and then your next turn. It's a lot of planning out. It's a lot of planning me. out for that, and I think, I feel like, unless you're a very seasoned D and D player, you don't you won't understand the prepping of spells and all this other stuff that you have to do on that side of it. Um, otherwise, the only other real difficult thing on this is positioning. Yeah, and it's the same thing that happens to you in D and D, right? Because you have a conversation with somebody, and then you see it start going south, and then maybe the DM gives you a nudges you to tell you, oh, you should probably spread your people out. Yeah, like, hey, you know, you're rogue, that isn't in conversation, should maybe think of go like, hide like maybe and, you, like, Do you guys want like, to do anything right now while he's talking? Like, that type of stuff happens in a D&D game, whereas this, the conversation just keeps going, and I didn't realize, oh, I could switch characters and then start moving my group out of, like, this Harm's way. tight circle where they're going to be cornered and picked off. Um... Where it's come to a lot of things of like, okay, cool, there's room full of enemies. I'm going to position myself and just surprise attack them without trying to talk our way through something mm-hmm. or trying in a conversation where one person's going to be super exposed and then just get fucking annihilated. Yeah. Um, that's literally the hardest part is the positioning type of stuff for that. Everything else seems to uh, play fairly well. Uh, I don't think... The second player, though, can engage in a lot of the main story stuff. Yeah. Um, there is an option I to notice that's like share private conversations. So maybe you could listen in on those conversations mm-hmm. if I we switch that off. But otherwise, I was having a conversation with one character, which turned into be like a private conversation between me and him. And it wouldn't let Courtney listen to it. So, so I had to look at his side screen while my character petted yeah. the dog. Or she, her character go off and talk to the other characters. But the one problem is, is that the person who will have voiceover or audio control is the first person who was talking. Yeah. So like her conversation she'll have with another character, it will be subtitled and she can have that conversation. But the audio will be completely my conversation with somebody else. Which kind of makes it weird because... I guess you can have conversations with them. I don't know if you can. I don't think you can romance anybody as a second player. I don't think I player. can. I don't think you can push forward huge narrative story beats by yourself either. Either I have to be listening in on it with you, or um, it only goes to a certain point, and I and the main character has to go and push it forward. Maybe mm-hmm. that we'll have to figure it out. But I'm pretty. I have a pretty good feeling that like second player can't romance the other characters. Um, only the main. Uh, person playing can do that. Yeah. Um, and that's the person that the game is saved under uh, that that player one, not the other person's, like, created character. Um, but overall, like, anybody who's given out, like, a full review of this game and has not beaten it is just giving you basically impressions. So you can't go by, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be an absolute awesome game from beginning to end. Because barely anybody's beaten this game. Because um, it's so big. And it, you have to talk to every single NPC almost. Yeah, you really do need to in order to find everything you need to find or find hidden side quests and stuff like that. Otherwise, 
you're not going you're going to miss stuff i have a playthrough where i completely miss talking to a machinist to help one of my characters but because i set his people on their way to boulder's gate before finding that other character mm-hmm. who then if you find her first you can talk to the machinist and he'll be like oh yeah give me this stuff i'll help her he helps her out a little bit and says oh yeah come meet me in boulder's gate later on and i'll be able to do more like i have to wait till i finally get to boulder's gate which isn't until you get to act two that you finally get there for me to even like start moving her relationships forward because we we're stuck at this well, you need your hurt fixed, and I can't do anything because the guy who could fix it already left the area. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. Like, some people would think, all right, let me go restart seven hours of gameplay so I can do this right. Whereas, no, he'll you'll run into him again, and you can push things forward once you do, once you run into him again, and you get all the stuff you need for mm-hmm. it. You just have to get there. Um, but that's the other thing is that a lot of games you know, I would say like Mass Effect, right? You know when you're going to run into enemies. Like, there, yeah. it's very obvious, like, who's an enemy, who's not. Or when you're in a hub and you can talk to people and you can't. With this, it's like, who's... all right, save this right now because there's a group of people right there. I don't know if they're going to attack me right away. Or if, or if, I, if can I can talk, talk to them. them. Or, if, or I... if I go one centimeter close to them, a little too close to them, they'll just automatically attack me. Like, what Yeah, if you the... cross, this, cross a certain threshold like you did and they suddenly started attacking everyone, we had to restart it. That was bullshit. Okay. Or like, I went to one area and I talked and I ended up talking to a guy that was trying to ambush us but we, but we got behind him. But we were able to talk to him but I found out like, well, shit, this guy's a bad guy. I don't want to actually leave him alone and I don't want to help him with what he wants to do and it turns into a fight anyway. Yeah. Even though I passed the che- skill checks to be like, cool, we don't have to fight. I can help you do what you want to do. But no, you're on the wrong. I realized after talking to him, like, oh, you're on the wrong side of this. I don't need to be helping mm-hmm. you. Um, so it's constant lots of saving you have to do because you're going to run into those situations where you have a conversation. So it's like, oh, shit, this is going to be a fight and I'm not ready for it. And you're going to want to be able to prep and then go back into that fight later on. Yeah. Um, which I would say, like, for gameplay wise, that can be a little bit disjarring where it's like, cool, I can't organically explore this because organically talking to doing this stuff puts me in a fight that I can't get out of. Whereas if I just sneak in and then I know I, I know these are people I need to kill, I can just go and start attacking them from an advantage point that they can't get to mm-hmm. and then have a better chance of winning. Um, so those things I don't know. It's almost like safe scumming, basically. Like safe scumming yeah. every cho- every op- every choice to make sure that you can do it right because organically you're just gonna fuck it up. Yeah. And I guess that's a lot of what happens in D and D, but like DMs tend to realize, oh, they're fucking up. Let me save their ass somehow by yeah by me... changing something, which this game doesn't do that on the fly. Yeah, because you don't have a living, breathing DM mm-hmm. there to help you along your way. It's like, oh, it's the will of the. Dice rolls that the programmers put in. Yeah, and it's, since it's a random number generator, it's completely on the will of that. Um, what is nice is the co-op works very well. It's a disappointment mm-hmm. that for some reason they can't get to work on the Series S so that this game has been delayed till next year for Xbox users. Where PlayStation fans will be able to jump in and play it. Um, so they kind of def- technically get a exclusive that comes out the same time Starfield does. But I would say the difference is Starfield's a way different type of RPG than this. Yes. So, like, people who want an action RPG like Fallout or Skyrim or that 
this is not a good replacement for you there. It, no. This this is like Dragon Age and replacement, even, and I would even, say, a little even bit. longer than that, because at least Dragon Age 1, which is more like this. Yes. Um, and which all is the, the better Dragon Age. And technically, all the Dragon Age games can work this way, where you do uh, turn-style combat. But the story moves along fairly fast in Dragon Age, where getting past stuff is fairly easy to get past stuff. Mm-hmm. Where, like I said, this is like... Hey, seven hours in, you haven't collected all the characters yet. Yeah. Like, oh, you've been playing for three hours. How how have you, have you talked to any characters on a more personal. Relation, on a personal level? Like, no, I just barely got out of the first opening area. Yeah. And it's not because there's tons and tons of combat or things blocking you. It's just there's lots of shit to look at, lots of shit to do, and things you're going to want to collect and, and grab investigate. and investigate in order to get the better things. Because if you don't, you're going to skip all of this and you end up with mediocre weapons and not being able to do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, a D&D game, when you start at first and you're level one, you have, like, ten hit points. So, like, anybody that does more than, like, two points of damage on an attacker is going to rock your world. So you want to be very careful with what you do. Yeah, you're very gingerly on your character. It's like, don't die. And even now when we have, like, 40 to 30-something hit points per character, it's still like, wow, something big comes at us and does a massive amount of damage, yep. we're fucked. <laughs> yep. So, um, definitely a different type of gameplay style. Uh, PlayStation users should be fairly happy with how the co-op works. Um, I'd be interested to know if you could do four-player co-op on one screen. Oh, yeah. That would be a lot of fun. Or if you can do the split-screen co-op with online play, which I think you probably should be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is finding four people to play online all at the same time and commit to it. Like literally we have to, it's like, well, it's just like a D and D game. You got to find your care players and your DM that can all come together on X night and play for four hours. But the thing is for several weeks, I feel like D and D players don't want to play video games. And a few people we know that are like kind of D and D and like, and like video games. Like I want to play through it by myself first. All right. So yeah. you want to spend, 100 to 200 hours by yourself playing the game to know the story before you play with anyone else. All right, fine. By the time you're done playing and ready to play, we're probably not going to be finished with the game and we're going to still be doing our playthrough. Yeah. I'm not going to want to start a brand new character or brand new campaign with other people while I'm in the middle of trying to finish up ours. Mm -hmm. So pick... Get your friends together. Make sure they all have it and like start at once and then do go through it. Um, the game does have definitely replayability because like there's eleven different classes. There's like multiple of them have subclasses. A ton of them can actually uh, use spells. So it's not like only three, two or three classes can actually do magic. So there's lots of different ways to play this game, um, and there's definitely value in playing it a second time. Uh, there's one specific character called the Dark Urge, which is like a Origin character, where basically any of the main characters in this game that's on in your party, you can play as and see their story through their eyes, or you create your own character, which most people have done, mm-hmm. and we accompany them on this adventure and we learn more about them by by talking to them. There's one character called the Dark Urge, who has no memory of his past, but throughout the entire game, he will be uh, coaxed to do evil things, and you have to dice roll against him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his dialogue and his quest storyline is completely different than anyone else's. That's cool. So that'll be int- interesting to play as for at least a second playthrough, plus a completely different playthrough when you play with a bunch of different friends too. And and even if they've all experienced it, 
everyone will have a different way of how to solve a fight or a problem or, or get through something. Yeah. So definitely a lot of fun. Check it out. Um, the last bit of news on this has been the big debate about... Starfield? Well, not Starfield, but on Boulder's Gate about oh. it being the new standard, which we kind of talked about a little bit last week. People are just like, it seems like now people are really riding on, getting on the coattails of the story, which is, which is kind of out of date by now. But the facts of the matter are the developers who came out and, and originally said that this should not be considered a new standard. Don't hold us, don't hold the studios up to this. They are going, holding a studio up to this standard would destroy them. Was it indie dev from a small studio who maybe might have 40 to 50 developers? Mm-hmm. Or like, or like uh, developers of No Man's Sky. There's 11 people on that team. That's it. There's not hundreds of thousands of people there. But when people from like Bioware or EA or Microsoft Game Studios start jumping on the bandwagon, that's what started pissing everyone off. Because it's like, you're from a studio that has five, 600 people. Larian Studio only had 400 and they made a game this good. You should be able to do better. Yes. Um. So like... That whole discussion is more so people are angry at big corporation uh, developer studios who have resources and other other studios like Microsoft where Turn 10 needs help. They can pull people out of another studio and make them work on shit. Mm-hmm. EA does it all the time. Activision does it all the time. Blizzard does it all the time. Sitting there saying, that, oh, we're just a small team of 700 developers. We can't be held to that standard. It's like, no, you grow the be. fuck up and try to aspire to be better than your competition don't sit there and say, oh, they're, yeah, they're really good. We're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to continue to make mediocre garbage for you because we don't want to work hard. Yeah. Call it AAA and call her a day. It's like, no. Nah. Yeah. Regardless of how hard making games is, which is not an easy thing to do, you can't sit there and look at somebody who makes something really good and tell consumers that... This oh, you, is not the standard. Yeah, you can't have that ever again. That's not what you should expect. It's like... You should strive to be better, not mm-hmm. mediocre at your job. If you want to be mediocre, you should retire now. Yeah. You should always be pushing to be better and create better games. Yeah. Um, let's point with that. Now, with the Starfield coming out here soon, uh, some of the controversy has been there's been no marketing for it. Uh, we have Nobody has gotten a demo disc of it yet, which kind of makes sense. It doesn't come out till the end of the month. I no, would... it comes out first week of September. Yeah, so this is the day it launches on Xbox. It starts at 5 p.m. on, on the 31st. 31st. Okay. That's the launch date, launch time for uh, preload. Because like at five at five or or if it the latest it would come out would be 9 p.m., which would be midnight Eastern time. But I think this uh, everything says 5 p.m. the 31st Pacific time. Uh, the game will come out and we'll have it. Uh, physical copies. People will probably get that on the first unless like Best Buy places call people up early and they come pick it up. Hopefully they do. People might get... I'm seeing the 6. The 6 is the, is the original launch date. The premium edition gives you 5 days early access. Okay, which okay. starts the 1st. I needed clarification on that. Yeah, yeah. People will probably get a demo version the week of the 21st, I would think, a week prior. If, they haven't, if they're not getting it this week. Uh, it'd be really weird if Bethesda doesn't give them anything until right before, which would make people really concerned if there's like an embargo or uh, a review copies don't go out until like the release date. Historically, that's been we have a shitty game, we have no faith in it, we want people to buy it off of hype, yeah. and then find out that it's garbage, and then they've already bought it and they'll just keep it. 
But the game's on the Game Pass, so even if you bought the Premium Edition on Game Pass digitally, you'll be able to play it on the 31st and onward before the uh, full release date on the 6th. Okay. So there's going to be plenty of information, whether it's good or bad. Hopefully it's really good. Everything seems to be looking at like it's really good, and that it's not going to be a dumpster fire like Redfall was. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And hopefully next week we start seeing marketing. Uh, a the more other, marketing. The other thing push. is Gamescom's happens, I think, probably, I believe, the 20th, 29th, 30th. Mm-hmm. Or actually probably the 25th and on is Gamecoms. Because I think on the 27th uh, is when Starfield's having like their private, uh, having a private video uh, or demonstration at Gamescom. Like on the 27th or 28th. Mm-hmm. So 20th. Wednesday 23rd through 27th. So yeah, that's not this week, but next week. Gamescom is going to have content for Starfield then. So we'll probably see more information starting on the 23rd. Um, hopefully people get review copies by then. There's no game PlayStation set up for Gamescom, so that had some people nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, with that being so close to release date, I can see why they like, we don't need people playing it right now or doing let, let's play our press runs of the game when it's going to be out in two days anyway. Yeah. Um, if they do review copies, they'll probably be sent out that same week. So people will start making content and it, hopefully the embargo is like the 28th or 29th. I'd be surprised if they do the embargo last minute. That's never been a good sign for any game. Yeah. Well, we'll wait and see this next uh, week or two, see if anyone gets a copy of release. Yep, we'll see what content comes out. I mean, right now people are starving for content, so they are just repeating the same news stories over and over again from Mm -hmm. every little thing. The last thing we got was the three animatic uh, trailers uh, that explain a little bit of the world. What we want to see is like a launch trailer, story trailer, gameplay trailer, see some more of that stuff. Yeah, actual trailer trailers. See that, yeah, hopefully right before launch, and then everybody will jump in and be probably taking Friday, Thursday, Friday off uh, at the end of the month so they can play <laughs> Starfield all weekend. Yeah. All right. That's basically our show this week. Uh, we'll have more in store for you next week. We'll, we'll get caught up on Harley Quinn and maybe some other TV shows and whatnot, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll see a movie or two. Who knows? Uh, and talk uh, some games. Because Stray just came out, so we've got to finish playing that, and yes. we'll probably go over that next week as well. So thanks for listening. Uh, uh, be sure to uh, comment, like, and subscribe. You can find us at NerdCrusade.com, the NerdCrusade on YouTube, and uh, Ner- the NerdCrusade on Twitch, mm-hmm. where probably uh, we'll stream some Stray this week or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so you can watch that watch as we Kitty have uh, Garfield's Adventures in Cyberpunk Town. Garfield's Adventures. So we'll see you then. Uh, thanks for listening, and please like, subscribe, and pick up our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on basically every platform. All right, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.